Well, good morning again, and my mic is on, so that's a good thing. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We'll be continuing in our series on James, a series that I've entitled Faith That Works. And one thing that we want to emphasize, or as James wants to emphasize this morning, is he's emphasizing and transitioning to a section dealing with the Word of God. Now, we must remember, believers, that we live in a world that is in total opposition to God. We live in a world, James chapter 1, verse, uh, sorry, James 1, John chapter 5, says that the world we live in lies in the power of the evil one. So when you think about man's ideas about human origins, evolution, you think about man's ideas about the human condition that we're naturally good. We think about man's ideas about the destiny of where we go and the, the many variations you'll find. They're, they're all humanistic ideas. Paul calls those ideas the, the wisdom of men. They're humanistic. They, they deny supernatural forces and specifically they deny and oppose God and His truth. You see, all of this quote-unquote, wisdom is opposed to the wisdom of God, which is God's truth. Man's philosophies, man's religions, even science operates outside of the realm of God's truth. Now, if man does stumble upon the truth, Romans 1 says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what is truth? To copy the question of Pontius Pilate to Jesus in John chapter 18, well, truth is reality as God sees it. And so James says in 118, as we talked about last week, that we were brought forth, that we were saved, that we were regenerated, we were born again by the word of truth. Jesus says in John 17, 17, when he's praying for believers, he says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You see, it's God's Word, the Bible, that is the sole repository of truth in this world. Now, we can see God's general attributes revealed in this world, His power displayed, but without His specific revelation, we wouldn't understand who He is and what He's done. We wouldn't understand our condition before God. And we wouldn't have knowledge of salvation, the gospel, through Jesus Christ alone. Now, James is transitioning or is transitioning from his, his admonition, his exhortation for these believers to live out their faith in the midst of trials in the large part of chapter 1 that we've been going through. Well, as we're going to be talking about this morning in verse 19 through the rest of the chapter, James is transitioning to the Word of God and the key that the Word of God plays in your life and helping you to live out your faith. And you can see James as he changes topics. For those of you that have your Bibles open, if you'll notice in verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren. In verse 16, and as we talked about last week, a transition section, Do not be deceived, my brethren. Verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren. 
chapter 2, verse 1, my brethren. Verse 14, what use is it, my brethren? This is a, a key when you're reading James to know that James is transitioning to a new topic. And here James is transitioning as he, he's got, he has vital information for you in regards to the word of truth so that you can live out your faith in Jesus Christ. Now this section, verses 19 through 27, is one section that deals with the word of God. And there's three parts to it, and we'll be dealing with this over the next three weeks. There's receiving the word in verses 19 through 21. There's responding to the word in verses 22 through 25, and there's obeying the Word in verses 26 through 27. And that's what we're going to look at over the next three weeks. But specifically, this morning, we're going to be dealing with receiving the Word in verses 19 through 21. Now, in the U.S., if you haven't been good at your taxes and you've made lots of mistakes, you might have an IRS agent show up on your door knocking and saying, hey, we're, we're going to do an audit now, for those of you in Oz, and IRS is Internal Revenue Service. It's the same thing as the ATO or Australian Tax Office. And these guys, and you'll show up at your door, and they'll knock, and maybe at your business or your house, and they'll say, hey, we need to see your receipts. We need to see your tax records because there's been some discrepancies. And now they show up. You're not very excited to see them because most likely you're going to owe money. And you, you, you invite them in because you don't really have a choice, but you're not really welcoming them in, right? It's, you're under obligation, you're under compulsion. Well, think about the same scenario. If, if the IRS or the ATO agent shows up on your door and knocks, you're a little wary, you open the door and he says, hey, we found a lot of discrepancies with your taxes, but you've been overpaying your taxes for like the last 10 years. And we want to look at your records, but most likely we're going to give you a, a huge sum of money back. You, you reckon you're your attitude would be very different. You'd open it, oh, come on in, come on in, let's, let's look through these records. You see, that attitude, unfortunately, the first example is, is the way so many believers approach the Word of God. They, they read the Word of God or they hear the Word of God preached and, and they're, it, it's, it's compulsion. It's, I've been told I should do this. They do it begrudgingly or, or really they, they, you can see that they feel that way about the Word of God because when they get home from church on Sunday, they lay the Word of God down on their desk, on their table, and there it sits all week, never touched. You see, so James says the Word of God plays a key role in your spiritual growth. But it, our attitude towards the Word of God affects our spiritual growth, affects your spiritual growth. And so James is going to be looking at three attitudes, and he says, you must receive the Word with an attitude of submission in verse 19, an attitude of repentance in verse 20, and an attitude of humility in verse 21. So let's go ahead and look at the text, James chapter, 9, James chapter 1, excuse me, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So James, first of all, says that you must receive the word with an attitude of submission. And he begins this section or begins this, this verse in verse 19. And he says, this, you know, now this 
particular word, it's one word in the Greek, can be translated as a statement, this you know, or an imperative. In fact, in my Bible, it has a little footnote that actually says, know this. Now, I happen to believe that the, the imperative is the best way to look at this, and I, and I say that because James uses the imperative or the, a command, an exhortation, more than any other author in Scripture. Over and over and over, we have seen and we will see that James challenges, he commands, he exhorts. James is very in your face. He doesn't pull punches. And when he says, know this, he's talking about understanding. And what he's, what he's going to say to you, he wants you to understand, is vitally important. Right? It's like he's, he's their pastor. And that's what he says, my beloved brethren. He puts his arm around their shoulder and he says, brethren. I want you to know this. I want you to understand what I'm about to tell you. And so he shows an affection. And what he's doing, he's connecting the previous thought in verse 18, where it said that God brought us forth by the word of truth to uh, uh, the next section, verses 19 through 27, when he's going to be dealing with that word of truth and and our responsibility and our duty towards the word of truth. He's talking about God's Word and how important it is for your spiritual growth, for for your communion, your fellowship with God. You say you want to know God, brethren, but you got to know His Word. What does the Word say about who He is? In fact, if you look at verse 18, He says He brought us forth by the Word of truth. No one is saved apart from hearing the Word of truth. Romans 10, 17. So not only is the word of truth crucial to your forgiveness of sins and your justification, it's crucial to your sanctification. But James says, look, says this you know, or, or know this, my beloved brethren. He's going to tell them what they should know. And he says, look, he gives three commands. And, and I like to call this your duty towards the word of God. Because these are commands. These aren't, oh, I think you should do this. No, James is saying, do this. He's saying, be what? Quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. So he gives these three commands. Well, first of all, he says, be quick to hear. Now, quick describes the, the attitude, not the action. Right? He's dealing with the attitude to be quick to hear. And when he says hear, he's talking about be, be attentive, be eager, ready to receive and assimilate the message that you're hearing. Whether you're reading the Word, whether you're hearing a preacher or a teacher, you want to be attentive and eager you think about it, the word disciple means learner, right? How can you be a disciple if you aren't learning the Word of God? We're disciples of Jesus Christ. Our, our first duty is to learn about who God is, our sinful state, and what He wants for us. So we're to grow in knowledge, knowledge of the Word of God. Now we've got to be quick to hear. My former pastor, Pastor Lance Quinn, he says that merely Hearing a sermon is easy. It requires a proper functioning auditory system, but it is essentially a passive exercise. Actively listening to the preaching of God's Word requires mental alertness, focused attention, and a spiritually receptive heart. And you think about the, the thunder and lightning we had a few days ago in, in Adelaide. And most lightning is cloud-to-cloud lightning. The, the particles, the negative positive particles, they attract and you get lightning. Well, less, uh, less often you get cloud-to-ground. And we saw, we saw a few of those. 
really, really cool looking, right? But when you think about cloud to ground, you've you got those negative and, particle, negative and positive particles, and they attract. And you have the positive particles come down, and if you slow down lightning, you'll see that there's a flash down and there's a flash up. Well, that's a picture of the preaching of the Word of God. The, the preacher preaches the Word, and, and the Holy Spirit it works in your heart. And, and if you have that, that lightning rod is ready to receive and hear, you, you have that strike that goes from the Word of God to you as you're ready to receive it. right? And it goes back and forth. It, it's called expository listening. Master Seminary student who's a pastor has written a book. His name's Ken Ramey called Expository Listening. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it. It talks about our duty and our responsibility to, to hear and receive the Word of God. You know, nothing is, is more important than you hearing and learning and listening and receiving the Word of God. Not passively, but actively. It's your duty as a Christian. He says you need to be quick to hear. So you need to be asking yourselves, what is God trying to teach me about Himself? What is God trying to show me about the remaining sin in my life? What is God trying to teach me about His will for me? As you're hearing the Word of God preached or teach, as you're reading the Word of God. Brethren, I just encourage you to, to, to take every opportunity that you have to increase your exposure to Scripture. Personal study, teaching times, home group, preaching. Because Every moment that you have with the Word of God is a privilege. So James says, not only to be quick to hear, but he says, slow to speak. Now remember, slowness, it's not describing the action, but the attitude. So we're to be slow to speak. What, it, what James is talking about is, a, is restraint upon hasty and ill-considered reactions to what you're hearing or what you're reading. You need to take the time to, to properly evaluate what you're reading, evaluate what you're hearing. It's a safeguard. For, it safeguards against rash and, and quick reactions that are shallow and immature. It, and you know what? That rashness, when you respond quickly to the Word of God, either you're reading and you're hearing and you say, oh, that doesn't apply to me, or, or I'm all good in that area, or you know what? I don't really like the preacher. I don't really care for this particular author in, in Scripture. I don't like the book of Leviticus, whatever. It's a rashness, but it obscures truth. When we respond quickly to speak about something. You know, in Bible college, one of my... One of my buddies used to annoy me to no end. We, we'd have chapel three times a week, and we'd go to chapel, and after chapel, you know, we'd have lunch, which would be directly following chapel. And we'd go to lunch, and, and he wanted to immediately start talking about the sermon. And he would tell me all about what he thought, and, and then he'd look at me and go, what do you think? And I would just look at him and go, I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> he'd go, what? Well, I need time to think about it. I want, I, want to, I want to meditate on it. I want to, you know, is the guy, is this preaching accurate? Is it in a context? How does it apply to me? What is God trying to teach me? I wanted to think about those things. Now, if something is clearly wrong, right? If it's a heresy, if it's not scriptural, that, that one's easy. But, but you want to think about those truths. Look, there, there needs to be a thoughtfulness in your life when it comes to the Word of God. Do you, do you understand the doctrine or principle before you go and talk to someone else about it? Now, I'm not talking about asking questions. We all need to be willing to ask questions. Try to, try to understand things. 
What I'm talking about is, is just speaking about things that you know very little about. And we see these in these blogs. I've read these, these online blogs of these guys that will expound at length. And you read it and you look at it and you go, these guys have no idea what they're talking about. Right? They need to spend a little more time with the thoughtfulness. Right? They need to hear more and then speak less. So restraint is key to your spiritual growth. Right? We, that's one of the reasons, if you think about it, in 1 Timothy 3, 6, Paul lays out qualifications of an elder, and it's not to be a new believer. They need to properly understand the doctrines of Scripture. They need to understand the Word of God as a, as a, as a leader, as a, a teacher in the church. Because there's an accountability, as we'll learn in James. If you're a teacher, you, you, you'll be accountable for the words that you have said. I mean, what a tremendous weight for a preacher, a, a teacher, knowing that, that God's going to play back on that heavenly DVD player the words that we've spoken to, for accuracy. I mean, that's a, that's a weight on my shoulders as I get up and preach to you guys every Sunday. So you think about the truths that you've heard. Be slow to speak. Meditate. How do they apply to your life? Refuse those quick and shallow reactions to the Word of God. So James has said, be quick to hear, be slow to speak. And now he says, be slow to anger. And now the anger that he's talking about here, the Greek word is, is orge, or orge, and it has to do with a, a deep internal resentment that smolders under the surface. It's not a, a volcano-like anger, because there's different words for anger in Greek. This is a, a smoldering under the surface Right? You could, it's kind of like if you, you see a volcano is not erupting, but there's a, there's a little bit of, of red lava you can kind of see through the cracks in the ground. Or maybe you can't see it. You see, it's under the surface. At times, only, only you and God knows the anger that's in your heart, the resentment that's smoldering. Because when you think about it, for us as humans, the natural response to something that is uh, that is that we despise or we, we resent or that harms us, our natural response is, is anger, right? That's, that's how we react. What James is talking about here is reacting that way towards the Word of God, towards the truth. It demonstrates a, a pride and a self-will. I don't usually quote lexicons, but I, I found an interesting, interesting description of anger. I thought it was appropriate it said, this anger proceeds from an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone or something based on extended personal exposure. So the idea is that, that you're, you're angry at the truth of the Word of God because the, the Word of God will confront you with your own personal belief system. Confront you with your traditions that you hold that don't line up to the Word of God. It will confront you with the, your behavior that's not consistent to the Word of God. Your, your attitudes and, and your pride and your self-sufficiency. You know, it, the Word of God, as it, as it confronts and convicts, if you're not slow to anger, you'll, you'll resent that. Because people like to have their own beliefs Right? People like to have their own ideas confirmed, their opinions, their, their actions. They don't like to be told that what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you believe is not right. 
And the first response is, is anger, resentment. And if, and if that continues, it, it becomes a, a barrier, a hindrance to you and your growth and your walk with the Lord. Like believers, you, you can resent the word exposing your personal preferences, your false ideas, and even ungodly lifestyles. Paul had this happen to him, right? Read 2 Corinthians, there's three chapters where he's defending his apostleship. Literally has to defend his apostleship because the Corinthians, the knuckleheads of the, of the Christian church, are, are, are refusing to submit to his authority. They're challenging him. Paul had the same thing happen in Galatians. He says in Galatians 4.16, so I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. You know, I had a pastor friend of mine who was telling me a few years ago that he had this guy in the church that when he, when he, he started his pastorate, they, they were friendly. He was a supporter of his. He was an amicable guy. And he said, but over the course of a, of a year, the guy's attitude towards him changed. He started opposing him at every opportunity started resisting him, even on simple things. My buddy said, you know, he'd go to the guy and say, hey, is there, is there something between us? Is there something going on? The guy was like, no, 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 we're good, we're good. But the guy kept, kept opposing him, resisting him. Well, my buddy told me that after about a year of this, it came out that the guy was committing adultery. You see, my, my buddy had been preaching through Romans and he was talking about sin and, and ungodliness before the Lord and, and holiness that God requires. And this guy was confronted by the Word of God and he responded in anger. And he lashed out at, at the, the, the person bearing the message. Look, James is writing to these believers. He, he's trying to diffuse what he knows could be some personal resentment because this letter is going to be a circular letter going out to many different churches scattered about. And like I said earlier, James is very confrontational. He's confronting these believers with, with wrong thoughts and wrong attitudes and, and wrong behavior. And he knows that one of the natural responses is to, to be re- resistant to the Word. right? Because the Word of God either, either softens or hardens. Think about Pharaoh as an example of, of hardening, how the Word of God hardened his heart. So believers, you need to be asking yourself, what's the best thing for you? The best thing for anyone, right? It's the truth. We often say when we're, we're doing evangelism that it, it's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And that's the idea, that a loving presentation of the truth. Because God uses His Word to, to expose our sinfulness and pride our idolatry. God uses His Word. And it's painful because we, we like to keep all those things covered up, those secret recesses in our hearts, our secret loves. And God comes on over and, and through the work of the Holy Spirit and He, and he rips off that band-aid and it's painful and it, and it hurts. But you know what? It's best for you. Because it fathers your spiritual growth. It fathers your communion with God. God says, be holy, for I am holy. You must be slow to anger when it comes to hearing the word of God. This is, this is the true submissive attitude that, that James is asking for here. 
It seeks greater communion with God and greater obedience to Him out of love. And just so you're clear, James continues in verse 20 and he says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. He says there's a reason why we should oppose that kind of, of anger towards the resentment and resistance to the Word of God because it doesn't achieve, right? The anger man does not achieve. The word achieve there is, is produce. James is using a, an agricultural term like a fruit tree producing fruit. So that, that, that resentment to the Word of God, resistance to the Word of God doesn't produce fruit in your life, the fruit of righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is, is, is right living, right thinking, according to God's standard. When you're resistant to the Word of God, when you refuse to listen to the Word of God, it doesn't produce righteousness in your life. You are hindering your own growth through your, through your refusal to submit to the Word of God. Hostility to the Word of God will not lead to a faith that's demonstrated. And that's James' point. So you must receive the Word of God with an attitude of submission. But he says you must also receive the Word with an attitude of repentance. Look down at verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the Word implanted which is able to save your souls. Now, in this particular verse, the the main point here is is receive. He's talking about receiving the Word. So before you can receive the Word, before you can receive that Word with humility, there must be a a putting away of sin. Since since anger in response to the Word of God cannot produce righteousness, James applies this and he he says, put away sin. Don't, Don't be resistant to the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. The idea for putting away is, is taking off clothes. If you remember when I would talk through Colossians, Paul uses this, this same term. It's a stripping off of, of the non-Christian lifestyle of a, from a believer. And this action, now this action literally is it's confession of sin. It's, it's repentance. It's a change in your behavior, a change in lifestyle, a change in affections, things you love and you won't. 1 John 1, 9, if, if, we confess, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. You know, when you become a Christian, there's, a, there's that terrible struggle between the, the things of this world and, and the things of the kingdom of God. There's habits, there's words, there's deeds, there's thoughts that must be put away if there's going to be spiritual and, and maturity in your life. It's going to be conformity to the Word of God. And James lists those sins and he says, put away the the filthiness. Literally the word is dirtiness. He uses the same word in chapter 2, verse 2, when he talks about the the poor man in dirty clothes. He, He wants you to understand how filthy sin is. To look at it the way God sees it. It's disgusting. It's inconsistent. It's dirty. See, the Bible shows us how God views sin. He hates sin. And Joshua, recently we went through the, uh, the account of Achan. I like to call that the aching of Achan, where God demonstrates his hatred of sin. 
They were, after they stoned Achan and his, and his family, they, they heaped up stones as a memorial, as a reminder to them to not take sin lightly. James actually says in verse 27 at the end of this section that to keep ourselves, to keep yourselves unstained by the world. I remember when my friends and I, we were young, we used to have dirt clog fights. A dirt clog is a, it's a clump of dirt that is not wet dirt, it's dry. And we would line up into teams and had this empty field and we would, we would all separate into team A, team B, or whatever we want to call ourselves. And, and we would literally throw these dirt clogs at each other. And usually we would, we would do that until somebody got hurt and then it was time to stop. But I remember going back home and my mom saw me coming up and saw me walk into, the, walk into the carport and she said, oh, stop, 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 stop. She's not letting me in the house. And she said, look, look how dirty you are. And I looked down and I realized I was covered head to foot in just dust and dirt. But I was having so much fun that I didn't really even notice or think about how dirty I'd become. Well, look, the Word of God shows us just how filthy we are before God. Even though we've been saved and we've been justified, we still dirty ourselves with this world. And because we live in a world that says that sin is okay, at times we don't even notice it. And that's where the Word of God comes in. It shows us how God views sin. James says it's filthy. It's dirty. And then he says it's wickedness. He says that all that remains of wickedness, or, or literally you could say that instead of all that remains, you could say that it's excess of wickedness. It's an abundance of wickedness. And, and that wickedness, that sin can take many forms in your life. From inward thoughts of, of lust to outward forms of, of gossip towards others and slander. Pride. Wickedness is that inner disposition of the heart. Outward actions always flow from those inward desires. So James says the, the filthiness is the outward and the wickedness is the inward. Right? The Word of God shows us that, the behavior, and it shows us the motives, the heart issues. It reminds me of a story I heard about a believer who once attended a prayer meeting. And over and over at this prayer meeting, he kept praying, Lord, clear away the, the cobwebs in my life that, that separate me from you. And he kept praying the same thing. And finally, the, the pastor put him aside and said, he said, son, it's time to kill the spider. Look, James is saying the idea is to, is to confess, to, to repent of those sins, to, to put them away, the, the evil that, that corrupts your thinking, that, that reduces your hunger for the Word of God, that, that quenches the Holy Spirit. You must have a clean heart and clean hands to properly receive the teaching of the Word of God. So you must receive the word with the attitude of submission. You must receive the word with an attitude of repentance. And you must receive the word with an attitude of humility. Look down in verse 21. He says, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Well, James switches here. He could have continued the put-off and put-on metaphor of clothing like Paul does in Ephesians and Colossians, but he, but he switches, after saying put-off sin, he switches to an agricultural metaphor. 
And he talks about receiving the word, or, or the idea for receiving here is, is welcome the word. It's welcoming the word with urgency. Your life, your spiritual life depends upon it. It's used of the Bereans, the noble Bereans in Acts 17.11, where they received the message that Paul was bringing to them with joy. You have to welcome the Word of God as an active force working in your life. Right? And by the way, James says, this is a command. So unless you think, oh, I don't have to receive it. This is a command from God to receive the Word, to, to respond with a welcome attitude. We allow the, the Word of God to, to work in our hearts, to direct and guide our lives. I see these bumper stickers at times in the United States. haven't seen any here, praise the Lord. God is my co-pilot. That's terrible. We live our lives that way with the Word of God. The Word of God is our, our co-pilot. The, the Word of God tries to direct us this way and, and direct our hearts to the right thinking and the right direction. And, and what do we do? We, we grab the, the, the stick, we grab the wheel, and we, we pull the plane or the car in a different direction. The Word of God should have control, domination, direction over your life. That's receiving the Word. That's welcoming the Word. And James says to welcome the word implanted, and that's a, a reference to that agricultural metaphor that I mentioned. That, you, that seed, the word of God's a, a seed that's been planted in the good soil of our hearts when we're saved. We should allow that word of God to affect all aspects of our life. It's take up residence in our life from, from regeneration onward. It reminds me of Jeremiah 31, 31, where, where God's speaking about His new covenant. And He says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's written His Word. He's planted that seed in, in your heart. But you have to welcome the Word's work for that seed to grow and blossom and bear fruit. It becomes vital. The Word of God is, is vital for your spiritual life. The Holy Spirit works in, in, in conjunction with the Word of God as the Holy Spirit empowers you to obey and interprets and explains the Word of God and, and convicts your heart, reveals God's nature and His character, the knowledge of God's will. But you know what? Humility is the key to receiving the Word implanted. Humility. It, it, need, it means to be, be open to the Word of God in the heart. It's the... It's, it's the opposite of pride. And by the way, pride is a spiritual blindfold. It blinds us to the truth, to, a, to the true reality of ourselves and our condition. We think we're okay, so we don't have to, to accept the Word of God, or oh, we don't need to listen to this particular message or sermon, or we don't need to hear this teaching because I'm okay. Right? It's an apathy towards the Word of God. A proud heart is a, is a critical heart, a heart that, that no one can please. Their standards are high because they're their own standards. And they, and they only elevate themselves as they sit on judgment upon everyone else and everything else, even the Word of God. That pride, the proud heart makes excuses for sinful behavior. It grumbles, it complains, it's ungrateful, it's self-centered, it gossips about others. It's, it's a resistance, an apathy towards God's Word that, that the pride can lead to. Right? So many believers, they don't touch their Bibles because in their hearts, they might not say it, but they 
act like they don't need the Word of God. It's an apathy, right? They don't, outside of church or maybe home group, they never pick it up. They never, never listen to the Word of God. What it's trying to say is they, as they read the Scriptures. We see this, the, the self-righteousness in people's lives, if we're not careful. And this is seen in, in self-esteem, rampant in our culture. There, biblically, there's no such thing as self-esteem. It's called pride. It's something to be condemned and avoided, not, not promoted like our world promotes it, or, or self-congratulations or, or self-promotion. That's pride. 1 Samuel 12, 9, Nathan confronted David with his own sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And he said to David, why then have you despised the command of the Lord? When we refuse to submit, we refuse to, to humble ourselves before the word of God, we are despising God. How about that for, for sin revealed in your heart? You know, William Farley has a great quote says, the proud man thinks he is humble, but the humble man thinks he is proud. The humble man knows he's proud, and he, and he resists that pride each and every day. The proud man says, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. But when you think about humility, it is the opposite of pride. The humble person, he sees his pride, and he aggressively pursues a life of humility. It's the growing ability to understand your true condition in God's eyes. Right? You're understanding the truth. You will hate your pride. You will desire to see God big and yourself small. Humble person grows as they submit to the Word of God. And you know what? Christ is the greatest example of humility. Philippians 2.8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about Moses as a great example. He spent 40 years enjoying the pleasures of Egypt, being the, the prince of Egypt, and he thought that he was an important guy. Acts 7.25, in Stephen's sermon, he says that, that he thought he could deliver the people by his own position. His political position. And he killed an Egyptian. He had to flee and he had to live 40, excuse me, 40 years in the desert, tending sheep, right, as a shepherd, who was, shepherds are despised by Egyptians, so he had to take the lowest job and learn 40 years that he was nothing, that God didn't need him to deliver the Israelites. He had to learn that. And that's why in Numbers 12, 3, he can say, and remember, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, wrote the first five books. Now Moses can say about himself, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Because Moses had learned so much about God and who he was, and he learned just how small he really was himself and his remaining sin. See, humility sensitizes us to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is able to work in our lives, work in our hearts, as we humbly accept the word work. Pride blinds you to your need. It's that spiritual blindfold that, that you must confess and repent of, and you must welcome what God is trying to teach you. And James says, look, if you accept the word with humility, 
It's able to save your souls. Now, the word souls is a Hebrewism. It just means the entire being, just so we're clear. But we're, we're saved. We're justified in verse 18. What? We're justified. We've been born again by the word of truth. But we are being saved. And that's what James is talking about. He's talking about sanctification, the process where we become more and more Christ-like in our thoughts and behavior. But God demands cooperation with that sanctification process. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. God demands that you cooperate with Him, that you welcome the Word of God, that you obey the Word of God, you receive the Word of God. Look, it's the divine power behind the Scriptures. That, that has the power to save and transform your life. It requires your humble welcoming. Respond to the Word, not with pride or anger, but with a willingness to hear and obey. Last December, uh, I ran, a, ran across an article about China and their new policy concerning religious texts. Specifically, they want all Christians to rewrite, they're the Christian denominations, to rewrite the Bible to fall in line with the Communist Party's ideology. They want all the religions as well to review all their holy texts, and they must adapt them to this Communist Party belief to be accepted by the Chinese government. Brethren, you, you have the great privilege, we have the great privilege, of being in Australia, of living in the Western world where we can read the Word of God, we can hear the Word of God taught and preached, there is no barrier and it is not forbidden to you. But you must receive it in order to grow. You must receive the Word of God with an attitude of submission. You must receive the Word of God with an attitude of repentance. And you must receive the Word of God with an attitude of humility. The Word of God is vital to your spiritual life. It was the Word of God that saved you from the wrath of God as you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through the Word of God that you are being sanctified from the power of sin in your life. It's the Word of God that teaches us about who God is and all His majesty and glory. The Word of God teaches us about our condition and our sinfulness. And the Word of God teaches us about His will and His ways and how we can obey. Brethren, My prayer is that you would welcome the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank You for Your grace. Your grace to us in giving us the, the Word of God that we may learn about You. Learn about Your holiness and Your and Your love and Your mercy, Your goodness, Your power, Your wrath over sin. We learn about how our guilt has been taken away through the blood of sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We learn about our continued sinfulness and the indwelling sin in our hearts and and the battle that we face every day against that sin. Lord, we desire to be holy. We desire to be righteous. We desire to grow in our relationship and our fellowship with You. Father, help us to receive the Word to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Father, I pray that we would welcome the Word, knowing that 
the Word of God is vital to our spiritual life. Father, again, I thank you for this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.